Hi, Mage fans. This is Terry Robinson with Mage the Podcast, and we are kicking off a new series called Mage Across Time and Space. And in this series, our goal is to give an idea of different time periods and maybe different locations in which you can either run a Mage Chronicle or a series of game sessions, or maybe just one as kind of a, a one-off visit. But before we do that, we have to answer the question of, if you're not going to set a Chronicle in this place or time, how how can we get there? Now, Mage Across Space is remarkably straightforward. Uh, in fact, recently on the Storyteller's Vault, there was an event called Year of the Road where it was talking about uh, getting from place to place in the world of darkness. And I wanted to submit a publication that was just the mage guide to getting there. And you open it and it's just Correspondence 3. But I don't think that would have sold terribly well, so I opted not to do it. Now, Mage Across Time is a little more complicated just because there's something about the world of darkness where they really don't seem to like time travel, which I fully understand. So we are going to start off with what can't possibly be a complicated question that I am going to pitch to my guest, returning friend of the show, Charles Siegel and noted Storyteller Vault author. Uh, Charles, what is time? Yep, simple question. <laughs> Softball. Um, being fairly sympathetic to the technocracy in real life, I'm just going to say it's the minus sign in the Minkowski metric. I can get behind that. It's the thing that prevents which... everything from happening at once. <laughs> Yeah, it's a completely useless definition outside of a specific mathematical context, and it's honestly the best you're gonna get if you want like an actual careful definition, because philosophers argue about this endlessly to this day. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Time is the most common non-pronoun noun in English, which suggests that it's kind of central. And if you kind of go for a very functional definition of what time is, the answer is it's what a clock shows you. Functionally, what time is, is, is that which allows motion, in a sense. But, of course, then you have to define motion. Yeah. <laughs> and like, do it. We're, we're, we're kind of at the bottom of philosophy here, and every term just refers to other terms in, a, in an incestuous cycle that you can't actually break out of. One of the ones that I found interesting is the idea that a temporal dimension is a dimension through which we only have the ability to seemingly travel one way, as opposed to a spatial dimension, which you can travel in multiple directions. You can go from one place back yeah. to a different place and then and then repeat. And that results in, to me, the delightful relationship that inside of a black hole, the singularity isn't a place so yeah. much as it is a point in your future. Oh, um, it's so much weirder than that. And this is good time-relevant stuff. Inside a black hole, time and space switches, so you have one space and three time dimensions. Black holes made a lot of physicists reconsider what time and space were, even beyond what relativity had done already. Yeah, we haven't even started discussing mage yet. So the, the short story is, there is not a general consensus on what time is. We are using the functional definition that is identical to the normative definition of what a clock reads. Now, from a cultural stance, that is a completely different ball of wax that we will get to slightly later. Um, but we, being Westerners, are going to kind of start with a Western view informed by physics. And there are a couple views of what the nature of all of time could be. The four I kind of have are a static interpretation in which everything that has happened and is going to happen has already and is out there somewhere. And the experience of consciousness is simply this little 
ball of self moving forward and backward. This is sometimes called the film reel view of time. There's also a view that time could be finite. There is a point in the past where time began, time proceeded forwards, and the universe may reach a steady state where it is just consisting of stray photons shooting around after the last black hole has evaporated, at which point there is no reasonable arrow of time. Because once you get to thermodynamic equilibrium at the state of the universe, there is no way of differentiating any moment. That is a definition of time that suggests that time is an emergent phenomenon or a byproduct rather than being fundamental. Yeah, there's also the non-physics-based time is finite view that is held by many practitioners of the largest religion in the world, where time started at a specific point and there is an ending that is planned. And depending on particulars within that religion, there is someone who knows everything that's going to happen in there. And the thing I find fascinating about the view of that end period, there are three events and there are six different interpretations. So I like the fact that in in religious eschatology, we have covered every possible combination of those events. So yeah, and and, and that's and that is just restricted to what. Christianity thinks the end is going to be. There are plenty of other religions that have different endings, but also have specific beginnings. And then, of course, there's the religions that don't have specific beginnings, but do have endings, and vice versa. As Charles mentioned, there are a few other views. Time could be cyclical. There's the idea of a Poincaré recursion time. If the universe is is bounded in some way and of finite size, eventually we will come to an arrangement of the objects or particles in the universe that are identical or nearly identical to a previous arrangement. And at that point, time was functionally cyclical. Now, if you're worried about that happening, our lowest end estimate of that is, I think it is something like 10 to the 10 to the 120th, which it years. And my favorite footnote is, if you look at the Wikipedia article on the Poincaré recursion time, it does not include a unit of time. That is a number so large that you could express it in attoseconds or the lifetimes of neutrons stars, and it makes a small difference compared to the fact that you're dealing with the number 10 to the 10 to the 120. That is what is technically known as a really big number. Tiny aside, eh, you can write it down. It's not a really big number. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, you're talking to a mathematician. Another option is time could be infinite in both directions. There was no meaningful first moment, and there is no meaningful last moment, or more or less the concept of time will always make sense. This could also be gated. Uh, For instance, the universe could run for a while and then drop down an energy state, which kicks off an inflationary period or something similar within a section of the universe. And now within that baby universe, there is essentially a first moment, but it seemingly goes infinitely into the future. And this process continues indefinitely. Are these important questions in Mage? Not necessarily. Are they cool things that NPCs can say to confuse players? Yes. Before we go into other cultural interpretations of time, do you have any other comments on like the current state of temporal physics? <laughs> it's kind of a mess. And, and not just because like neither of us is speaking from a position of having done 20 years of research on time and physics, but that the people who do it will say, yeah, we are still trying to figure out what this is. Everything is confuse- confusing, and that's why we don't have like quantum gravity and stuff like that. Uh, Charles and I are speaking from generally a uh, scientific Western view uh, because that is our life experience. There are certainly other views out there, and I strongly encourage you try and look into them. For instance, there's a class of views which basically say that the past and the future are kind of just out there. 
And if you want to go to the past, you could literally walk to it. And if you want to talk to an ancestor or someone who came before, you can. You are not talking to their ghost at that point. You are talking to them. But just the past is is kind of a different country. There, there's also the Gnostic view that there is no time. And I like the hardline Gnostics who are like, no, it is still 68 AD until we throw off the shackles of the Demiurge. And I'm like, that is someone who is willing to lean into their philosophy. And I appreciate that. The other option is that only your consciousness experiences time. That again, if we go to this this film reel view or block time view of the universe, that the only thing that is actually capable of perceiving time is your consciousness. So when we talk about time travel, what we're really just talking about is moving that consciousness around in that block in some way. That one is completely compatible with some more scientific approaches to time. Namely that the only thing that makes time go forward and backwards is that the fact that entropy increases allows us to record memories. If time were going backwards, the phenomenon we know as memory would be more likely to just be a random conglomeration of neurons uh, firing to create a memory than it to be an actual memory. So the view that consciousness experiences time... You know, either because of some fundamental thing about consciousness or because the nature of memory is that it has to be a local entropy decrease amidst a big entropy increase in order to remember things. Either way, your consciousness is what is experiencing time. And like, if you just want to experience a different time, it's entirely about messing with, with memory and entropy. And if there's two spheres that are more closely tied together than entropy and time, it's either time and correspondence or matter and forces, actually. I I look at the nine spheres and think, I would reshuffle this entirely for the technocrats, but that's a lot of work. That is a lot of work. Then we start getting into, like, pillars and foundations kind of things. No. (laughs) To me, they are the sirens of of Mage, where people are like, oh, man, this is really what that game should be on. And then their game crashes upon its rocks. And then you try to play it. Yeah. Yeah, and then you try try to play it and try to remember that the magic for a hermetic is fundamentally different than one for a Batini, and you need to learn the rules for both. So as Charles mentioned, these even within the West, we do not have a coherent view of this. And if you go across other cultures, it goes uh, in a lot of different directions. Uh, the Babylonians had a cyclical or recurring view of both space and time. If you went in any direction far enough, you would come back to the place where you started. And this applied both temporally and spatially, which I thought was interesting. Uh, The Greeks viewed time as uh, somebody walking backwards into the future. And the idea here was, even if you are a prophet, you could only confirm your prophecy once the event you had prophesized had happened. So it was only something that we could could see in retrospect. Uh, Americans as a culture tend to be future-focused. They tend to want to get things done and move on. And this contrasts with a lot of other cultures. And in contrast, many Arab, North American, indigenous, and African cultures view time more as a set of actions as a relationship tied to some natural rhythm. A friend of mine who is a native Alaskan, his family was confused by the idea of an eight-hour workday that was periodically punctuated with breaks. To their family, there was a work season and a not work season. The basic unit was not the day, but the year. There was a work season where you worked 10, 12, uh, 16 hours a day. And then there was a not work season where you spent time with friends and family and and lived off of what you had done during the work season. And and this is sometimes known as uh, polychronicity, uh, the idea that there are natural rhythms or patterns that should be the fundamental driving force as opposed to there being a basic unit of time, the hour, the minute, or the day that is the fundamental uh, driver of things. 
And it's a neat thing to build a paradigm on. Uh, the Greeks, for instance, had two notions of time. You had Kronos, which was just kind of the vast expanse of time, and Kairos, which were the moments of opportunity. And I had a Greek Euthanatos character who saw the latter, those moments of Kairos, as glowing stones in the stream of time. And to use an entropy or a time effect to improve something was to pluck a stone, uh, a glowing stone from the stream. Kala is the Sanskrit term for time, but in this amazing view of maybe metonymy, it was also a form of Krishna. Uh, and we get the passage in the Bhagavad Gita where Arjuna is talking about Kala destroying all things. So you have this case of the phenomenon of time and the incarnation of Krishna being the result of the destruction of all things. And interestingly to me, Javanese culture has a very similar duality where they kind of have this embodiment of time that consumes everything. I think the best example of this in Western thought is the Corpus Christi chronophage clock, which is this giant grasshopper thing on this golden clock that is almost entirely mechanical that appears to be slowly eating moments. Uh, and, and the clock speeds up and slows down uh, on a 15-minute cycle. Uh, what time paradigms have you dropped into stories? I, most characters in games I've run have had the kind of standard scientific view of time, even if they're fairly mystical, because, you know, they mostly grew up in 20th and 21st century North America. It's very hard to keep a paradigm that is that different about something that common separate. The cyclic time of the, Babylon of the Babylonians has shown up a few times, especially in, histor in historical games. And I did once play a character whose entire notion of time was kind of compressed compared to st Standard, where all of his concerns with time were about deep time issues. Uh, he was a void engineer who was worried about what was going to happen 500,000 years from now, 2 million years from now. Tomorrow, was, tomorrow someone would figure that out for him. Yeah. He didn't care. The character before he was a mage was a nuclear waste disposal technician, which informed this, this view. He was on a quest to actually solve the problem of how do you warn people who are further into the future than the earliest human artifacts not to go here? Any other thoughts before we go into storyteller notes on time travel? Time is weird. Let it be weird. When you're building a time travel chronicle, I am working with the assumption it's either going to be a set piece or something that is built in that is going to be accessible. It's when there's something in the middle that it gets real messy, where one character out of nowhere is suddenly like, we could solve this with time travel, that, that things seemingly go, uh, go sideways. In a sense, it's the exact same problem of the whole, the whole game is taking place in Philadelphia and one character's like, Let's go to Tokyo! A, a game needs to have an agreement about what the rough time and place it's going to take place in, and everyone needs to have buy-in, or else why wouldn't this character go off to Tokyo and abandon the group? And then I, the appropriate thing for me, for, uh, for me as a storyteller is, okay, I guess your character's leaving, make a new character. And same with time travel. Like, if one guy wants to time travel and everyone else is saying, uh, we've got stuff to do here and now, then, okay, you can go off time traveling, make a new character, I'll let you know if your character comes back. And to me, kind of one of the things is that is important is to uh, pick a type of time travel that goes with the theme that you want to do. Characters being like, I want to explore the time stream. And you're like, well, time travel is impossible. That's kind of a, a great way to directly uh, quash someone's dreams. Uh, you also have the problem of like paradigmatic differences. This is one of those cases where two players, two characters may have wildly different views of what it means to explore the time stream. And they may or may not work together. Uh, remember that Revised introduced the idea that there are kind of three layers of reality. There is what the mortals think now. There is this form of historical inertia and there is cosmological constants of things that could be a cosmological constant where a storyteller just gets to go, yep, it works this way. Uh, time travel 
to me is kind of at the uh, at the top of that in terms of uh, things where a storyteller just gets to declare how things work. I've shifted many things between which level they're on. I've had games where, well, not Galileo because he actually came pretty late to the party, but where the where the heliocentric model model of the universe did in fact shift where where everything was. And I've had games where I said, no, everything was there. Just people were wrong for a while. <laughs> yeah. And remember, like, you're a human, not a physics engine. Like, uh, maybe you are. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm a crappy physics engine at best. Like, time tra- travel stories in fiction, like Tenant or Primer, work because there is no possibility of anyone deviating from the script, especially when predestination is involved. Mage games aren't like that. Prophecy in a mage game is already hard enough. Yeah, I, I think you had a good example of a book or a story that you thought was interesting that would be utterly impossible to implement in a mage game. Yeah, so Robert Heinlein's sto- short story, All You Zombies, where through time travel and, let's say, unusual medical circumstances, the main character is both their own mother and father. Yeah, that seems uh, non-trivial to implement in a mage game. <laughs> <laughs> And as Charles kind of suggested, like whatever we want, we should have the rules that fit for that. For instance, if you're trying to explain why everything isn't always time travelers going around mucking with everything's, it could be something that paradox is prohibitive. Or alternatively, you incur paradox every time you cause the timeline to change in some way. And that could be rated on a scale of you automatically get one point per day just from being there. You get three points for interacting with someone that changes the the course of their lives or 10 points if you interact with a major historical event or figure. And to me, this leads to an interesting story idea, like players find themselves back in time and Eleanor of Aquitaine takes a shine to one of them and thinks they're cute. And now they have to like be on the run from one of the most powerful queens to exist during the Middle Ages or the time or they will explode into into a cloud of paradox. And you're allowed to set time travel expectations. You're not expected to be able to instantly figure out how a change in the past affects the future. If you want to do a big change, my recommendation is pull out your copy of Microscope and do it as a group. Uh, Do you have any good answers as to why people aren't constantly mucking around with time in your games? Like, given that time travel exists, why isn't it all just time travelers breaking everything all the time? So, so yeah, I I ignore the extra paradox for just trying that M20 introduced, because I do like time travel, and that makes it prohibitively expensive to do anything more than, like, a combat round. The simplest answer for me is that... Time 5 is pretty rare. My games tend not to include very many masters. Uh, If the PCs manage to be masters or I set up a game with PC masters, it's because they are special that they have become masters. I consider masters to be rare, masters of any particular sphere to be rarer, and masters of time, well, most masters of time are members of specific specific traditions or factions, that maybe teach ethical reasons not to mess with time. And also, I actually kind of figured that every master of time has tried once and learned that, and learned that they <laughs> are more likely to make a hash of it than fix anything. In the same way that why isn't everything the technocracy does completely covered in premium? And the example they give is, well, you need a master of matter and a nuclear blast furnace. And those two things are pretty rare. And masters of matter generally have better things to do with their time than to just make cladding for hit marks. To me, there are costs associated with things. While you can often convert those costs into money, they're fittingly, often the cost is time. It's an opportunity cost. Mm -hmm. Like First, you have to have someone who is capable of achieving mastery. Then they have to pick time as the sphere that they want to mess with. Mm -hmm. Then they have to decide, here's a thing I want to go change. And then they have to succeed. 
and within canon, we we do have some time cops beyond uh, John Claude yeah. Van Damme, who is my preferred incarnation of Wrinkle. Uh, Wrinkle, the the first, the final paradox spirit, who gives players either the choice of correcting something or simply removes them from the time stream. We're going to talk later about temporal inertia. That most of the things you would want to change are probably very hard to change. And the other one to me is you have the oracles and the exemplars of time. In Masters of the Art, it lists that most examples of art spheres are either done as a plot device to deal with something gigantic or to undo the work of another archmaster. I personally prefer the, like the idea that there is only a single Oracle of time and it is just different versions of that person traveling forward and backwards through time. Uh, uh, the single electron hypothesis. Yes. Also exemplified in the short story. What was it? The egg by Andy Weir where all of humanity is a single person traveling forward and backwards in time. And once they've experienced all human life, they become a God. What, what are some possible interpretations that we have of time travel in a story? So given that we want to have the time travel conversation, what are different like versions of time travel that one could introduce into a story? And the most obvious one is you, ha- you do a ritual, you roll some dice, and hey, look, you're suddenly in, 14, in 1492 being chased by angry Spaniards. You're physically there now. This is, of course, the one with the most opportunity to change things compared to others. To me, it's the most fun, but it is the most complicated to handle. A much more manageable version is basically astral time travel. What's that? So up to you whether you're actually going to require mind or not for, for it. I tend to prefer pure sphere solutions to things because it lets characters do more cool things. But where your consciousness goes back in time and is potentially just like hovering around and can look at stuff, but you can't really affect anything, though... Of course, you can decide, well, you're there, so your avatar's there, so if you magic, you could do it, but you know, you're not physically there, so maybe most of your f- instruments are not accessible, but you just send a consciousness back in time. This, honestly, I would say shouldn't even require cause paradox, and you could argue could be a time two effect instead of a time five. One of the ways I like to do it is when a character is using scrying or postcognition or time to investigate things, they or the entire group gets to briefly go back in time and kind of walk through it almost like it is immersive theater. They're unwitnessed witnesses to time. And to me, that allows them to to apply whatever toolbox they have. And I think it makes it a a good bit more immersive. I, I tend to do that with a lot of the two dot effects. So then, for instance, you know, character uses time two, they're scrying the past, they can see what they see, but maybe they roll perception plus investigation in order to pick up on some, sub- some subtle thing. The time two does not make up for them maybe not having the, uh, the skill set to be a good crime scene investigator or a person capable of interrogating evidence that they find around them. And to me, I like building more uh, sensory immersive worlds and, and being able to bring all the senses in, I, I find improves things. And if it's time two, it's relatively easy to bring other people along with you. So the whole group gets to walk and poke around, even if they can't actually change anything. Uh, so you uh, presented one way in that there is one timeline, you go back and you change something and then the future is changed what are what are some variants of that so there's branching timelines where any change splits um maybe a better way to think about it without time travel necessarily being there but just allowing for it is the quantum many worlds hypothesis where every possible thing happens in some timeline they split infinitely constantly and all you're doing when you time travel is going back to a common branching point and picking a different branch 
we exist in a uh, some very large, possibly infinite dimensional Hilbert space, and you're just kind of moving around. And, and yeah. to, to me, the interesting thing there is that brings up a very big existential question, where if you're not actually changing anything, you're just traveling to somewhere else. That's like saying you're making the world a better place by moving out of a crappy neighborhood. You've made it better for you, but if your changes are just what would have happened anyway in this timeline and you're just gone to a different one, to me, that brings up an interesting moral question. Just timeline gentrification. You're just moving to a nicer timeline and leaving everyone else behind. But you also have the problem of if all of these timelines are equally real, do you have a moral obligation to try to help people in other timelines? And can you? And another one is, like, are there variants where you can travel back in time and it just doesn't do anything? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, very hard to actually pull off if you want the characters to feel like they're not being railroaded. Having the players travel back in time, do a bunch of stuff, and then get back and everything is exactly the same when that was not their goal is kind of disheartening. But yeah, there's a bunch of different versions where maybe all of time exists and it's completely unalterable and your travel back in time already happened. Or maybe if you want to allow a little bit of freedom without having to go full alternate history by the present, you allow small changes, but not big ones. Maybe the most popular uh, phone in the world is made by Orange instead of Apple. The idea that you can only change small things, not big ones, is often referred to as temporal inertia, that the larger the change you want to make, the more you have to shove uh, to do that. And you can either implement this as a bunch of coincidences that kind of cancel each other out, or that something worse happens, so on and so forth. Um, I think the, the best examples of this that I knew of are, I think that's how the current Doctor Who works, that you can make little nudges in time and you can save someone's yeah. dog or what have you, but you, you can't stop the rise of, uh, of communism or something. You can't stop the Bolshevik Revolution. They referred to temporal fixed points. The other thing that I thought of with this was the old Dark Sun setting, where it's like, oh yeah, you can totally run around in time, but you're not going to stop the rise of the Dragon Kings because you're not. So deal with it, buddy. One of the other weirder views is the idea that you are not necessarily traveling in time, but just that there are different versions of reality that are moving at different paces, and you are moving over to one that uh, that where things are just kind of going slower. That's mostly a case where you can paradigmatically present something and you are then interceding in that timeline and it's kind of similar to the time travel causes uh, time to branch idea. Well, uh, I, I don't think that's just paradigmatic. That's been explicitly a part of Mage for quite a while, actually, with Mirror Zone and Everett volumes. While you bring it up, would you like to define Everett volume and, and Mirror Zone? So actually tied to that quantum many worlds hypothesis, that's where the name Everett comes from. You know, mirror zones and Everett volumes are basically alternate realities that are kind of sort of less real than the one we live in. You can go there. It can be either an alternate history of some kind or it's a different time. That's what the Chrononauts are doing as of Void Engineers Revised because time travel itself is too hard. But they have the added problems of you can take things into them, but you can't take things out of them because they're just not real in the same way that the world that we live in is. So if you want to have a, a timeline that is inviolable, but also allow characters to go and mess, and mess around in other time periods, and best of all, no matter what changes they make, they don't affect the original timeline, they can't bring back super powerful um, artifacts or anything, people from that timeline can't pop up uh, in the physical world. If they go back and have a Sorcerer's Crusade adventure, you don't have to figure out what their effect is 500 years later. 
Everett volume named after Hugh Everett III proposed the many worlds theory, uh, sometimes is referred to Everettian quantum mechanics, the idea that the entire universe is just one gigantic wave function that never collapses. It is just an evolution uh, of that wave function over time, which I am partial to, but I'm just a lay listener. And the next question is, so how the heck do we do this? Uh, Sphere-wise, Charles, what, what dots where do we need to to move around in time, either in M20 as currently written or or maybe in a previous version that might have had slightly different rules. In first edition, you can't do it. In second edition, time seven. In revised in M20, it's time five. Well, that's straightforward. It's, it's explicitly listed as something you can do, just especially in M20, there's, you know, the paradox issue. So there's a table that has units of time, which is like number of successes you need to scry that far. But for traveling, you get two to the number of levels you're going paradox, which is why whenever I've mentioned it, I've mentioned a power of two. The thing that really bothers me about these rules are that there's a, there's a division of scale because you also get two to the number of turns you go back if you're doing a short-term time jump. Yeah. <laughs> so, if you, so going back in time eight turns, which is like a minute, gets you more paradox than going back in time 100 years. A thing I have done is I have used the idea of a time homunculus, which is some level of time plus correspondence plus prime plus other spheres is optional to make a copy of yourself that lets you more or less run around in the past. And just thinking about how to how to do it in spheres and like this is so much harder. Yeah. Another way to do it is that could be your time plus mind plus prime plus plus life to kind of create an embodied version or without the life if you're just kind of going through. This is part of that astral time thing. Um, I'm also a big fan of just artifacts to kind of do this for you to deal with the, the thing of if a player has all these spheres, they probably are doing something more interesting than, than just running around in the past for a little bit. But that's just me. The fact that spheres can time travel is good to know because you need to fig- because that helps you figure out you know how many dots a wonder is or how much paradox you get for standing near the marauder that's doing it and yeah. so on. <laughs> um, but P- but PCs generally, as much as I'm pro time travel, PCs generally should not be like, I'm going to feudal Japan today. <laughs> exactly. So there are other splats in the world of darkness that have some time abilities to to me the two that jump up are the fey art of chronos which is available essentially to certain she and members of the i think it's the crystal palace group which is uh, as charles talked about earlier to gain this information you have to spend a lot of time with a group that has very strong temporal ethic and this is one of those groups and and normally as written it only lets you move forward a little bit but hey if you're not going to interact with a bunch of fairies who cares why not magnify it by a factor of 10,000 or something just to make the plot work we also have vampires with access to the discipline of temporis if they are a true bruja I just threw up in my mouth a little bit but (laughs) those are the other ones that that kind of come to mind I guess you could probably do some hand waving with time travel using uh, maybe life web or fatalism uh, to do it. Is there a lore of time or a amulet of time in mummy? Probably. Probably a demon who can mess with time, but you don't want to meet him. Exactly. Uh, th- this just kind of gives you some some optional hand waving, and that covers kind of the other things. But what other entities in the world of darkness kind of let you do time travel? Right, so we al- we already discussed Wrinkle. I actually ran a game where some mage, I don't actually remember offhand if it was a Nefandus or a Marauder, had just decided to go back in time and mess with things. And it was powerful enough that Wrinkle wasn't sure he could take it. 
So Ringo gave a hall pass to the cabal. <laughs> I get out of time free card. Yeah, you, like, I will take you to when you have to be, but the five of you can do things that I alone cannot. Don't mess with things too much. Just deal with this problem. And I will look the other way on, on any other changes you make that aren't too big. <laughs> uh, so, so this was basically an excuse to play Sorcerer's Crusade with modern characters. So part of it was an excuse because I wanted to play Sorcerer's Crusade and my players were game, but didn't want to make new characters. And then they had a bunch of fun running around Renaissance Europe, specifically not killing any Medicis, but almost getting Porthos killed. I think one of them had the idea, hey, what if we just kill Halal? That... And I just had Wrinkle standing on the horizon looking disapprovingly. <laughs> <laughs> I just picture they have this little thing that like beeps whenever they say something that would disrupt the timeline. They're like, let's kill Halo. And it's just like beep, 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 beep. <laughs> Your temporal uh, continuity alarm goes off. Like just a, just a couple of times, you know, seeing Wrinkle on the horizon looking in their direction, clearly disapproving when they're planning <laughs> something stupid. Scowling at them so, like Winston Churchill. Like, basically, the tact I took was if they set out to kill Porthos, Wrinkle has a problem with that. If Porthos happens to die in the execution of their duties, then there will be some other hermetic archmage who steps into the slot. In addition to that, there are other entities out there that could yeah. give you the ability to mess with time. I did, as I said, I didn't remember what the entity that was the problem for Wrinkle was, but it was either an Aphantis or a Marauder. A Marauder just shrugs off Paradox. They can just time travel. A Hermetic with Time 5 probably has learned their lesson not to time travel. A Marauder with Time 5 is just going to keep doing it. Yeah, it's, it's almost the opposite. They've learned the lesson that it's great. <laughs> like, there's um, no downside. Frankly, Time 5 is a solution to some to some Marauder Quiet. Like, have you read Travis Leggy's Weighing the Cost? I have not. It involves a powerful hermetic who is becoming a Marauder because they are constantly trying to fix a problem in the past. It's related to the short story he put in Truth Beyond Paradox. It was, it was one of those um, day one made Storyteller Vault products, and it, it's a good one. Travis does his homework, and I appreciate that. But yeah, the, po the point being that if a Marauder's Quiet is my life was better before person X died or whatever, then time five, you can go, they can go back. That person's alive, still alive. But of course, that means the Marauder's going to be trapped in a personal hell where the person is constantly dying. And possibly where the Marauder is going back in time, killing their past self and taking their place. And if anyone's going to have kind of a shaky notion of time near them, it's going to be a marauder. So lots of interesting things. Marauder, marauders create time loops when they time travel is kind of my feeling. Nefandi can get protection from paradox from their from you know the outer lords or whatever or whichever version of the Nefandi you're using, whatever they worship. If, if in revised, they can be protected from the Avatar Storm. They can be protected from paradox too. Until in M20, they kind of get rid of the cult of the star, star squid, and we find out that the real Cockthonic entity was inside of us all along. Okay, thanks. And of course, there, aside from Wrinkle, and he may be the paradox spirit that comes to mind, partly because when you say paradox spirit, Wrinkle is the thing that comes to mind. But there's plenty of other powerful spirits who have influence over time. Yeah, anything that's a that's a praetor above in an astral court that is tied in some way to time should be able to do it. Uh, in my version of the astral courts, just about any god of time is going to be able to do that. If you want to do something in the middle umbra, any large metaphysical concept associated with time would make sense. Like to me, it would make sense that Luna would be able to do uh, certain types of time travel or Helios. So that suggests a fun limiting factor. Luna can take maybe Luna can take you back to the previous to the previous new moon. 
Yeah, we're pr- right. 28 days at most or something. Yeah, I, my interpretation metaphysic metaphorically is often that Luna is reborn on the new moon. So this so this instance of Luna can only bring you back to that time. And so that means that if there's a problem, you even with time travel, you do have a limited window to fix it. Because one of the problems with storytelling time travel is, well, there's no ticking clocks anymore. Okay, the bomb's going to go off on May 5th. Okay, it's May 4th and we haven't solved this. Okay, let's go back 10 days again. And just keep figuring it out. Like, ticking clocks are hard to maintain with time travel. But if Luna can do, say, one time, she can take you back to the most recent new moon, you get extra time. But you, know, you but the clock is still there. And there are a lot, a lot yeah. of uh, cultural entities uh, tied yeah. to this. Uh, I think my favorite is probably Taoism, which literally has a god of fate, I think, for each year. I mean, each god has several years that they cover, but, like, there's a lot of them. Um, yeah, aside from Cronus himself, you've got the Greek Morai, you know, for your more Euthanatos or some types of cultist and Verbena ca- types of characters. Yeah, there, there's time entities all over the place. They're just going to be some of the scariest things around although now i'm kind of imagining running into a time gaffling and it just can't really do much but it's trying yeah <laughs> as you mentioned you have the you have the norns the, uh zervon from zoroastrianism i i think this is an awesome chance to bring in a lesser known thing because if the idea that if worship is tied to power or familiarity is this gives you an excuse to be like we're going to go to talk to Anunnaki the Mesopotamian deity of fate which not a lot of people know about because maybe they are weak enough to not crush us but still be able to fulfill what we need and of course there's the easy way to make a bargain of you will increase my temporal power you will find people that have them worship me we're going to go back in time fix this also we're going to drop a lot of pamphlets about how cool you are (laughs) entities I think we've probably covered the big ones um yeah except for the zig but that's (laughs) of course there's the zig but we talked about them quite a bit last time so we've had discussions about how mage as a rule has fairly few weird magical places and pointed out that there are actually quite a lot of them in mage but they're just all in the umbra well this is no exception there's a weird magical place that's relevant but it's in the umbra and that place is saturn shard realm of time Yes, but but it's funnier to just refer to it as Saturn. Yeah. <laughs> of the shard realms, other than mind and spirit, which they never seem to be able to make up their mind which planet's which, mm-hmm. time is the weirdest of them. If you go into the shard realm of time and you come out, you're probably in a different time than you started in. There's some suggestions that powerful time mages can control where they come out, and some suggestions that the technocracy is planning to invade the past using the top shard realm of time. Oh, interesting. Where, where is that suggested? But it's, it's either Book of Worlds or Infinite Tapestry. Uh, the, te- the technocratic base on one of the moons is a staging point for an invasion of time. And it's not clear whether they're trying to go to the past or the future to invade. It's not clear whether they actually know what they're doing. But it is strongly suggested there that a substantial amount of technocratic personnel at some point were hanging out around Saturn getting ready to invade another time period. I think the other weird thing about it is so we have a few other uh, the, the one other case where we get this weird ass canon time thing is probably the entelechy which is yeah. this moment that radiates forward and backward through time where for a brief period of time the psychopomps existed and shepherded avatars to appropriately matching human minds so we have this one amazing example of an event radiating forward and backward through time i don't actually know what that means but i think it sounds really cool 
the way I kind of think about it is because the idea of how fast it's moving a long time is kind of weird. To, it's a bit much to wrap your head around. Like, okay, so this happened in year zero, in year um, zero after Entelechi. When does it hit five years? Like five years later, when does it hit? It, it kind of has to be simultaneous for all time in order for that to make sense. In some sense, I kind of think about it as it physically occurred in a specific time and place. But it it was also always happening and always will be happening in some more metaphysical sense. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. Invisible Sun, uh, everyone playing the Mates of the Podcast drinking game, please take a shot, has this thing where they where they have the, the moment of creation and time is being created forward and backward at the same time. So as time goes on, newer and newer things are appearing, but also older and older things are appearing where time was created at its center and is now radiating outward, uh, where people are trying to find things that are chronologically, pardon me, they're metaphysically the oldest and get objects from that moment because very old things and very new things came into existence at about the same time metaphysically. So dinosaur fossils are new. Indeed, indeed. And interestingly, in this case, we're planted by angels. We've covered the established time things that are time as we know them. But in addition to that, there are weird things that really look like time travel or that you can basically treat as time travel for the purposes of going to a different place. Uh, Dives into the Akashic Record are actually what I usually use for what I call the astral time travel. So by some name, many paradigms have an idea of a collective unconscious or the collective knowledge and memory of humanity. Uh, the Akashics call it the Akashic Record, and that's just kind of how Mage refers to it. But you know, at the same time, the collective unconscious isn't something that the New World Order would turn their nose up at. So mages of all types can make use of this with just a simple mind, of, a quote-unquote simple mind effect, mind four. But, you know, yeah, you go off to the Akashic Record, and the way I usually run that is if you want to learn something— First, you have to find a specific person who knew it, and then you have to inhabit them at a time when they were thinking about it. So you're following their thought. You are living as a, you know, as a passenger on their memory, on their memories. And I admit, I have not been terribly consistent in this, even within a single game, as to whether or not this counts as a form of possession. So sometimes I've said, no, it isn't. And, you know, you're just kind of along for the ride in the memory, whereas sometimes, you know, you can manipulate them a little bit. So here's another view of the past that we didn't use. There's no such thing as the past. There's only memories. So then this is as much time travel as is actually possible. You writing the memories of someone who used to exist or altering the memories of everyone on the planet. You can be expelled from that if one of their friends happens to check them for possession at that time. In the same way that you tend to have them as disembodied investigators when they use time too, I, you know, I tend to do this with um, Akashic Record dives. And my modification of that is there are places in the Umbra particularly tied to memory that can be navigated. In the high Umbra, we have the well of memory. Uh, To me, that is part of a triad where a single idea has reflection in the three Umbra. Uh, To me, metaphysically, the well of memory in the high Umbra, the legendary realms in the middle Umbra, and the Isle of Eurydice in the low Umbra are all connected. They kind of flow down kind of a historically set focused um world tree yes yeah uh do you do you allow characters to go from one to the other to accidentally slip from memory into legend i have not done that yet 
Um, <laughs> but uh, I think it is important because different characters are going to have different access, different access to different Umbrae. Uh, my games tend to focus on the low and the high Umbra. I, I like the low Umbra because to me it is very understandable. And the high Umbra to me is fun in that it is kooky and weird, but you are less likely to be like randomly eviscerated by some emanation of the wild than maybe you are in the middle Umbra. Uh, the Well of Memory is a place that's, that's an epiphany that's reachable through any, uh, for me at least, any umbral court tied to memory or history or fate and you can dive into it it will help you recover uh, lost conventional memories or reveal the where memory should be uh, if it has been magically removed and that is also something that where the waters of it will allow you to kind of navigate through the the sea of human memory uh, kind, of, kind of like anti-leaf yes that's a good way to put it. Uh, Lethe being the river in the underworld that is the one that causes forgetting that all souls must drink from before passing into the underworld, at least in uh, in Greek mythology. And the legendary realm is, is the realm that represents all great stories or all heroic stories, as it were, that have been told. That That's the thumbnail sketch I'm going to use of it. I recognize that it's a bit more than that, but... Yeah, I can interpret things that are described as different realms in the books as being different paradigmatic interpretations of the same thing when they're thematically similar. Mm -hmm. Like, as you said, the well of memory and the Akashic record and the big filing cabinet in the sky are all kind of the same thing. And is the mirror maybe to Maya or something like that? Like memory and dream are definitely connected. (laughs) What else? So we've talked about the Akashic record. We've talked about these uh, three umbral locations. What other things are kind of like time travel? I don't know. I could actually make an argument that the entire low umbra is. Yeah. Uh, one interpretation is that uh, the low umbra is just the realm of memory more so than anything else and not quite the realm of death. And oblivion then becomes forgetfulness. Mm-hmm. If something only falls into oblivion when there's no one left who remembers it, which actually does tie into, uh, if I remember correctly, ancient Egyptian notions of the afterlife, where you are in the afterlife for as long as there are people who remember your name. Uh, and, the, and, and when you're forgotten, it's over, oblivion. Which is part of why pharaohs built such big monuments. Yeah. <laughs> it, they wanted their names to be remembered forever. It's kind of funny, though. Now I'm kind of curious. Like, if there was a period where no one had seen them and then rediscovered it and then figured it out, does that person, like, pop back from oblivion when, like, the first That's part- like a great question for a mage, for a mage <laughs> mummy crossover. Yep. Other time-like things I have used, a, a simple one, if you want to dip your toe, uh, restricted sectors in the digital web where everyone's icon needs to be thematically appropriate. Mm-hmm. And that's a good one if you want characters to just dress a certain way or use lingo that's a certain way or have a plot that revolves around no one having access to cell phones <laughs> or something like that. Similar to that, Marauder Insanity Bubbles. Or associated with that, quiets. Seekings are another thing that could cause something that is like time travel where someone is suddenly in a different place in time. I I tend to have non-traditional seekings where either the player writes it up and gives it to me or it is a quest um, that is given by a character's avatar and I make the buying that dot of arite much cheaper in that case if they essentially fulfill an avatar quest and often that can involve time travel. I give essentially the avatar, the pure avatar kind of access to magical powers that the mage themselves may not have. So it's kind of the idea that the avatar is quite potent but at any given time the mage only has limited access to it speaking of avatars let's talk about past lives for time travel that's a great one you've got you've got a nice strong sympathetic link with a person in the past because they were you or at least you shared an avatar depending on your paradigm you, you may think that they were you or you might not but you can access their memories and again accessing a memory and just having the storyteller tell you this is the memory 
it's kind of the least interesting way to do it, but it might be useful if you have a bigger group of people who want to get on with things or you're just trying to get as much done in a session as possible because you get together once a, once a month for four hours and you're trying to keep the chronicle going. Mm-hmm. But if you have the time and the buy-in, you know, a character sitting down and trying to access past life knowledge in many ways could just play out kind of like temp- like time travel with the assumption that whatever happened already happened. So there are some restrictions on player agency, on player agency but you can hand everyone else characters from that time that interacted with the character during the, me- the character's past life and the memories they're trying to access. I'm very similar to how you could do Akashic Record deep dives and so on. And that brings up something I like to do, which is kind of the extended flashback. I was running a chronicle where characters were trying to solve essentially this mystery, and there was this one nagging question they had where it was part of this mission essentially involved to kill all the worshippers of this particular god or to at least convert them that someone had made a promise with this deity the check was coming due they weren't going to be able to pay it back and instead they said to themselves well if i can cut off the flow of belief to this entity then they will not be able to exact their revenge upon me and they're like well how would they do that And i'm like well this sounds like a great opportunity for us to do essentially a flashback and fill in that moment and the cool part about that is you can temporarily give characters access to super powerful characters or amazing artifacts or devices or what have you because you don't get to take it with you or let them play a paradigm that they don't have or if a character has been built up over time just different spheres and that was a a, a fun way to uh, essentially let let characters step into a different time and place temporarily, play with toys that they hadn't had before, answer an important plot question, and then fast forward. One character scrawled the word dicks uh, on the side of Ziggurat, very large, so that had to become canon and was kind of an outstanding mystery in the world of why this inscription um, <laughs> of this Mesoamerican tomb complex just had this this giant uh, English word on it, but I kind of made it out like between vines and, uh, and weathering that it just kind of had decayed into something that is not immediately recognizable. But if you know it's the word dicks, you can really see it if you're looking. The best thing about something like that is that you could easily just say, it remained undiscovered for hundreds of years, but then, but then, like two weeks after they get there, they see a news art, a news article about with new X-ray technology, we have discovered the word "dicks" on us. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and the characters are like, ah, and the players are like, huh? I guess I did that. Didn't yeah. change history one bit. <laughs> <laughs> one mage can make a difference, an incredibly lame difference. <laughs> The only other one that I have is the idea of interzones, which are basically shallowings, but for time. I love time travel and alternate history uh, fiction, and one of my favorite series, not because it's particularly great, but because in many ways it is awesome, is the 1632 series by Eric Flint. So the premise is a mining town in West Virginia that's kind of a mess because the modern world is not being kind to West Virginia. Something happens... And suddenly they're in Germany during the Thirty Years' War, the whole town. So that means you have the resources of an entire 20th century American town in the middle of the Thirty Years' War, including modern firearms, a power plant, etc. And I'm not even kidding in the slightest, gamers. But they have motorcycles and shotguns instead of longswords. So the first, the first book goes pretty much, yeah, they just... You know, after they get the ba- their feet under them, they basically just start crushing everything. And then suddenly, oh, crap, we have to um, downgrade our tech to catch up, to be able to sustain it in, the, in this in this world. And so and so and everyone else starts stealing their stealing their technology and upgrading. So 
the advantages start wearing off. But they, it's a great example of what modern sensibilities suddenly showing up in a different time look like, even if no one involved had any ability to do the time travel. You can also have thinly veiled other epiphanies or paradox realms that become time appropriate. There, there's a bunch of different yeah. ways of, of jamming that in. For a game that is supposed to time travel as the world of darkness, there's a lot of ways to put time travel into the world of darkness without violating anything as written. Yeah, there's also what I refer to as functional time travel, where you just talk to a vampire elder who's 2,000 years old. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I'm being addressed uh, addressed in Eld Angsac instead of instead of English. That's kind of a kind of a different beast. To me, to be time travel, you have to experience the time rather than just see an artifact of the time. Uh, so we've gone over a whole bunch of time travel methods. Why as a storyteller might a player want to time travel? Far and away, the most common reason to time travel in my experience is something's a mess and I want to fix it. Whether that's five minutes ago, my friend got shot or I just realized that 500 years ago, if something had gone a different way, my life would be better. Fixing a mistake or building a better future kind of, there are ways in which they are different, but they fall into the same bucket of there is a change I need to make because something is wrong. Yeah. It, to me, the difference feels like a one of scale. There is a particular yeah. thing that you want to change versus there's a general direction that you want to change. You could, like a tradition mage might want to go back in time and prevent the order of reason, reason from actually coming together. That, that kind of feels more like make a better future from their point of view. Or they might want to go 10 minutes ago and warn their friend duck because the technocrats are, com are coming with machine guns. And while that does build a better future for them, it is more in the fix a mistake. It is really a difference of scale if you're trying to change the world versus trying to change your life. And I could see a very desperate technomancer chronicle of things are going to shit there is no single event that we think will change things but we got this list of events and places and times from cassandra complex that says uh, you need to do these five or ten seemingly semi-random changes to the past and oh by the way we as technocrats have identified this phenomenon known as temporal radiation or temporal narcosis which says a given technocrat can only travel through time for up to 48 hours per dot of stamina before they their bodies just torn apart by a phenomenon I'm going to call temporal dissonance or something like that. Temporal tidal forces. Yes. I also like the idea that once that it is very obvious that, that every faction in the Ascension War, and maybe especially the technocrats or what have you, have some sort of way of monitoring time travel because they recognize how potent it is. And every time someone travels back to certain times that are kind of known as pivotal in some way, shape, or form, these groups kind of spring into action. So the moment you try and change something, another group is trying to stop you. Um, and I, Kind of like how the traditions of the technocracy will sign up, will work together against the Nefandi. Everyone's kind of like... Okay, you're trying to change the outcome of World War II. We don't know what that's going to mean, so we're going to put a stop to this. Yes. And there's even that dissonance within the Nefandi of, do I want to rule over hell on Earth, or do I want to destroy all that is? And those two groups would probably have wildly different views of the appropriateness of time travel. <laughs> I have a chronicle seed in my head that I'm going to pass on to all of your listeners, because I'm probably never going to actually run it, where the end everything type of Nefandi comes to the conclusion that if you time travel, that's punching holes in reality. If you do it enough, maybe the whole thing will fall apart, even if you aren't changing anything, just by changing what time you're in, you're causing damage. So the players 
will want to stop this faction of Nefandi from time traveling, but the only way to catch up to them is to do it themselves. And at what point have they done the damage instead? Mm. I also like the the idea that uh, history maintain doesn't change because time travelers are all fighting each other for the right to change history. Like, you can't go kill Hitler. I wanted to go kill Hitler. So it's just all these assassins that are glory-seeking stopping each other. It's, <laughs> it's, it's the same reason that I assume that the World of Darkness history is pretty much the same as uh, mundane history because all the supernatural factions canceled out. Exactly. Another one is just kind of the historical adventure of it, to see a thing or to learn a thing. Yeah. I could see someone being very very curious about what was it like at the Grand Convocation or what was it like during the convention of the Ivory Tower. Related, post-Avatar Storm Mage, I've achieved mastery of time. I want to become an Arc Mage. There aren't any around. Where do I find a mentor? Oh, I like that. Or maybe I'm, an, I'm a master of some other sphere. Where do I find a mentor? Because almost all of the books for like matter six or all the mages who had matter six, they're all gone. How do I learn this? I could spend the next century experimenting and maybe figure it out, or I can start working, make my way up to time five, just specifically to travel in time to find a mentor for, uh, for the spheres I actually care about. Sort of they time the annoying auxiliary sphere like prime often is. Yes. Especially if they are borrowing that book from a future version of themselves who wrote that book because they had already stolen it. That's a predestination paradox I can get behind. The lack of availability of mentors for extremely high spheres, especially arc spheres. And, and we've discussed, I've run games where there's a lot of mages, but masters are extremely rare. Mm -hmm. So even just trying to get up to mastery of a sphere where there isn't a master that you know is going to be a problem. Like maybe you're a hermetic and you want mas and you want mastery of entropy and there are no masters of entropy in the order of Hermes at the moment, but on the other hand, you just can't understand the nonsense that the euthanatoy are spouting. So you split your time between trying to figure it out yourself and trying to figure out how to get access to a member of House Fortuna uh, Fortuna from the 90s who did have mastery, but disappeared in 99. So we've talked about a bunch of the whys, we've talked about a bunch of the hows, and, and now I guess some other what's or, or general storytelling advice. We talked about temporal narcosis or temporal decay, the idea that uh, maybe a storyteller puts a limitation on the amount of time travel you can do because it tears at the pattern or tears at the avatar, or that there's a limitation because the entity that is granting you the ability to time travel can only give it for a certain period of time. Or it could be one of those standard ones where uh, you're in the temporal immersion chamber, other people are coming for you. So it is a race between your ability to change something in the time stream and your Confederate's ability to protect whoever is going to attack the, the temporal immersion chamber in the present. And you have one of those, you have to hold people off stories. We talked about temporal inertia, the idea that large changes are hard. Uh, do you have any other advice for storytelling? I actually have one other um, method for time travel that does not appear in any book, but kind of exists in the implications between pages. <laughs> Go on. Sorcerers. They don't have paradox, but you could, you could easily define a path of chronomancy with a fifth or maybe the sixth dot. You can do time travel, and this might be the only literal time travel available without paradox. Uh, if you want to stick to rules as written, but just expand paths for sorcerers and so on. And shameless plug, such a thing exists in the... In, uh, my forthcoming sorcerer book for the Storytellers Vault, but it is currently in editing. 
I guess my general big thing is uh, two of the most annoying things that happen to a storyteller are either scrying or future sight and how to mechanically implement rewinding time. To me, when scrying comes up, paradigm is going to influence what a character gets. I, I think we, we start with the assumption in a lot of cases, it's like literally looking through a crystal ball or playing a videotape, where when the examples we get, for instance, of Acrides uh, Solonikis, he talks about this large set of vague impressions that he has to revisit over and over and over again to get any sort of useful information. If it were like a videotape, mages would probably spend a lot of time scrying. And also it can be wrong. <laughs> so it may be one... I, I usually handle for future scrying because we've mostly been talking about past directional time travel. But future scrying, I usually handle by, well, what instruments are you using? That determines what, like, if you're reading tea leaves, you're not getting a video. And frankly, if you're a technocrat doing doing complex simu mathematical simulations, you still have to interpret the model and determine, and the model has its own errors and biases in it. So I don't think I've ever granted, basically given a video kind of scrying for the future, partly because that handcuffs you as an ST. Uh, and then you have to force the plot to either go in that direction, depending on your interpretation of time traveling. Using paradigmatically appropriate instruments and scrying methods gives you various amounts of maybe a cultist has a vision but it's highly symbolic a verbena or a hollow one maybe read some tea leaves and they're just getting some general impressions and symbols they're not getting like a straight yes or no answer a technocrat has error bars uh, on their predictions so Yes, this will happen with probability 54.3, but it's only, but it's probability 50, but even if it's probability 99.8, it might not happen. My requirement is that players may only use future scrying once they, the group has declared what they want to do, because that gives me the idea of being like, oh, okay, you want to break into the museum. This is the most likely thing that you will encounter. For me, with time two, you get some very general impressions. If you want something more specific, then you got to be throwing in entropy to pick the right future timeline and things like that. Like this is one of the few times where I very much am in favor of it requires more spheres than than your first thought is. Hmm. So actually, I once had a had a character say, "Well, what if I try with time three? I said, "Go for it." And well. Correspondence 2 lets you look at a specific place, but Core 3 makes you look at everything. So Time 3 showed them every timeline, and it turned out that was not, in fact, useful for them. <laughs> it kind of overloaded them, and it took them 24 hours to recover. And at the end, their general impression was, here's the percentage of timelines where things work out for you. Here's the percentage where they don't, based on your impression of seeing too much. So they got less information from higher time because they also... Now, if they had augmented with mind, maybe they could have got they could have done a better job. Yeah. Things like future sight is troublesome enough that I do require other spheres to actually make it really useful rather than give a general impression of things. And another way is you can take that general impression and say, hey, your character has gotten these general impressions. And as whatever they do unfolds, there are key moments that rhyme with what it is and they get a one or two second period of prescience, which allows them to add whatever successes they got on their time effect to some future dice pool. It's not as necessarily uh, flavorful as some people might like, but I think it's a good middle point of explainable and useful. I have also used it in preventing players from killing themselves in going like, oh no, we totally want to go behind this door. And I'm like, uh, you remember the vision of death from earlier <laughs> behind that door. Uh, uh have you ever read the comic Knights of the Dinner Table? No. Talking Heads comic of a gaming group at the at the table playing role playing games. Relevant to your to listeners is that one of their stories that had 
the characters getting sucked into a vampire LARP and the other characters decide to LARP Hunter to get them out. Yeah. But relevant to this discussion, they're playing a science fiction game and one of the characters has, precogn- has a precognition power. And the way the, the GM is using it is they're letting them know at any given moment you're getting a mental tingle. The story continues, and until they say that tingling has stopped, the character has the power to one time say, none of this happened, we're winding back to the beginning of that. They had a sudden flash of prescience about what happens if they continue on their current course because they, play, they just played it out, and now they're, they're back where they started, and they can say, no, 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 guys, let's not do that. That was a really good way, in my opinion, to use uh, future, future sight. You, know, you build up successes, and then at moments where, say, things are going to get chaotic and could go in a lot of different ways, you give the opportunity to rewind to a set point and just say that everything that happened before that was a vision. I have done that when the characters were interfacing with a character with wits eight. They are someone who is so capable of interpreting the environment around them that they were essentially able to rewind time, which is something I picked up from Scion, because when you have 10 dots of wits in Scion, you basically gain the ability to to rewind time using the same thing, that something was just a, a model or a simulation or a premonition uh, rather than what necessarily actually happened, which to me brings up a another rules quandary that can get kind of difficult, rewinding time. This can involve a lot of bookkeeping, and at least at my table when it's come up, you can only jump to a very clean point. The beginning of the fight, before the conversation started, before you walked into uh, the police station or what have you, that's me. Alternatively, the player gets to set a save point once per session or something like that, and that is the point they get to travel to, and it is on them to record the state of the world. Do you have any uh, thoughts on rewinding time mechanically? Yeah, I I like your method. It's very similar to what I use. I also allow... So this episode was, of course, going to start referencing lots of media. Have you seen the movie Galaxy Quest? No. Okay, so in it, there's... Spoilers from a movie from 20 years ago. There's a device called the Omega-13. At one point, the characters are told, either it rewinds time for... It it, it, it rearranges all matter in the universe to rewind time 13 seconds, or it destroys all matter in the universe. No one knows. Turns out it rewinds time. That's useful. 13 seconds is basically like a combat round. It's just enough time to fix one mistake that just happened. So that's the that's the other uh, increment of time, of time reversal that I allow. Basically, oh crap, I botched this roll. Let's go back to right before that moment. Sort of an instantaneous reset to the beginning of something happening, usually the beginning of the scene, or to a set point that has been decided in advance. I guess my final note is when one player travels through time when rewinding, everyone has. You now have the fundamental question of does the rest of the group continue on and their friend who was time traveling dies or whatever bad thing happens to them and that player is now in their past. Did they rewind all of time or did something else happen? I tend to want to stick, keep groups together, but if a player wants to rewind time to a point that other players are not okay with, I would go back to Charles's, okay, you're gone, make a new character option. Player does not get to sacrifice the group for their own character's benefit, at least generally at my table. Time travel is so much easier in the one-on-one game than in the group game. It just is. They are very different games in many ways. A one-on-one game of Mage and a group game of Mage should not look terribly alike. You have much more experience with time travel than me. What are some times that you would recommend having players explore, or at least ones that you have found interesting? The two easiest ones, soon to be three easiest ones, are Dark Ages Europe, Renaissance Europe, and let's go with Victorian Age for reasons that there are official or 
soon-to-be-official books about this. Dark Ages is a bit of an interesting lift because if everyone else is running around with pillars, but your characters have spheres, your characters are way more powerful than everyone else just because you can do things that they can't. But at the same time, these people are people who know what the world they're in looks like. And, it's, and medieval Europe is fundamentally different from the modern world in so many ways. Yeah, Sor Sorcerer's Crusade is also fun. You, ha you have things like the Grand Convocation. You have the Alibatine and Salificati as traditions. And all of this is just, you know, sticking with Europe, which is the history that probably most mage players are going to be most familiar with. But honestly, like... Any era of history that you personally love, that's a good time to time travel to. Because one, if the ST is having, having fun with the, with the history, the players are going to pick up on it. And if you're desperately trying to stay one step ahead of know a tiny bit more about what happened than the players, they're going to pick up on that too. And the game's going to end up being a little bit of a mess. And frankly, you're going to place it, times and places that you know something about, you're going to make real in a way that places that you're reading about just for this, you, it will be harder. I did, as I've mentioned a couple times, I've, I have run characters being sent back to the Sorcerer's Crusade era. They end up doing a bit of globetrotting. And in some parts of it, you know, things were great. Like I have, I have a solid knowledge of what was going on in the mid-1400s in some parts of Europe, in Japan, and in the Middle East. But then they decide to go to India, and suddenly I'm, I'm trying to read three books on the Mughal Empire at the same time, just to try to figure out what do things look like where they're going? What are people talking about? What are the current political issues? Because they're going to run into these things. You know, because I took European history in high school, I have some sense of what's going on in Florence in 1466. But in Mumbai, I got nothing. Uh, the other thing we have is there are a bunch of supernatural events that we never get information about. Uh, the War of the Dust Witch that results in the formation of the Nagoma, the Screaming Ghost Purge, the Reign of the Five Ghost King, the the Dragon River Wars, and then there's the and then there's the ones that we get like more than a mention of, but nothing substantial, like the war against Tezgul the Insane. Yeah, Yes, that, that comes up a lot in, uh, in Sorcerer's Crusade. It's mentioned a lot, but there's not a lot written about it. It gets a lot of very brief mentions. The most it's written about is that they have like a two-paragraph thing about who Tezgul was at one point, but then he died and his army just goes poof. Like, he's not a Mongol. Like, the Khan dying doesn't mean they all have to go home. Yeah, army of Lithuanian demon worshippers scouring the Baltic, operating his base in Pala Alka. That is the uh, totality, I think, of the mentions that Tezgul gets in uh, the modern mage continuities. I, he certainly wasn't going to appear in first edition or most of second edition because Sorcerer's Crusade hadn't been written yet. And then Revised was very much not interested in what was happening then. It was more focused on... It's the end of the world as we know it, and no one feels fine. So Tezgul is a wide-open space that the characters can go and do stuff with. And I think that's kind of his intention, is with all the future fates from Sorcerer's Crusade. He is a thing that is noted as having happened. He left no uh, impact on mundane history, which means that this is a fight that the PCs can go and have while still sticking to what history is. And for those of you following at home, the Intelliki, as listed in Ascension, was the summoning rite that was prophesized by the Psycho Pomps, where the Qujad al-Akbar was this mass of Avatar refugees that emanated from a future where Ascension had been achieved 
and the cycle of creation and the sphere of Telos was realized, but as soon as it touched the imperfect consensus, it fragmented across the past and future. And this supreme future ascendant intelligence kind of fractured across time and manifested as the psychopomps and would guide mages for a while. That is, if you follow the timeline listed in Ascension, which answers a lot of questions and answers some questions people would rather not have had answered. And if you are in that camp, that is entirely fine, but ultimately gives rise to the Batini. And Ascension is the least canonical published mage book. And with that, any other comments? about time travel in general, or alternatively, what is your next publication to come out, Charles? Well, with any luck, it'll be an update for Sorcerer for M20, just took the entire thing and rebuilt it in the mold of of World of Darkness 20th Anniversary Edition rules, specifically Mage. Sorcerer Revised had some good things about it, but the mechanics were a bit overly complex in some ways, and also... And also there were no guidelines for flexibility on... There were a couple of things that said, well, it's wits plus a cult unless you're a technocratic sorcerer. Whereas one of the things I did was replace that with for every sorcery path you learn, you pick a practice and you pick an ability from that practice and that determines how you are doing that path. You know, wits plus a cult is the key for path of hellfire to light things on fire. Technocrats should not be using wits plus uh, a, cult. a cult for that. That seems reasonable. Uh, so instead, instead you look at weird science, and maybe you're ro- rolling wits plus technology, technology, or wits plus hypertech to do it. And I look uh, forward to having a conversation about that when it comes out, and telling our audience how to use it and where they can get it. And with that, Charles, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. You've been listening to Mage the Podcast, which is now 100% asbestos-free. That remediation process was made possible by our executive producers who support the show, and they are Anders, Andrew K, Andrew E, Brendan, Bryce Perry, Christopher P, Chris Zach, Ira Grace, Jenna F, Justin, John Magnuson, Michael Parker, Richard Bat Brewster, and William. My executive producer shout-out this episode is, there once was a gamer named Ira Grace, who was known to put players in their place. He wrote for the Trophy RPG, which caused alternating terror and glee, and dropped Blackberry Jam on our plate. The joke there being that Blackberry Jam is one of the incursions that he wrote for the Trophy RPG. You too can become one of our executive producers by clicking on Become a Supporter in the show notes or through the episode entries on our webpage. In addition to getting minus two difficulty on all charisma rolls with other World of Darkness enthusiasts, you get our special supporter-only show, So What's Your Plan?, and previews of other Mage the Podcast projects. If you super like this episode or super didn't, drop us a line at magethepodcast at gmail.com or at magethepodcast on Twitter. We have a hop in Discord community at discord.me slash mates the podcast you can subscribe to our show on spotify anchor tune in itunes google play podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice if you liked us please give us a review on the platform of your choosing or tell a friend about us if you do leave a review tell us i'll probably start reading them on air also go to mates for show notes and all of our previous shows now go change reality bye <laughs>